Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney back with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. Are you enjoying your IndyCar summer break or pre-summer break? You know, I, I am because I, I feel like I've been busy, you know, outside of racing stuff lately, being gone a lot of weekends. And this is the first weekend I've been home with no like major responsibilities or anything yeah. since, well, early May. It is nice to have a bit of a break, I must admit. And maybe we're in the minority, but, you know, it feels good as we're entering another weekend here without not only IndyCar, but no Formula One this weekend either. So it can really get some stuff done. <laughs> yes, we can't accomplish anything when there's racing on. No, but... yeah, we're very narrow-minded <laughs> to that. Y- yes. And not multitask. That's exactly how it works. Okay, well, to come on this week's episode, we will discuss Felix Rosenquist, some news from McLaren coming out today, Thursday as we record Thursday afternoon. Also, we'll do our IndyCar mid-season grades for each full-time team. So it can be any letter grade between... A plus all the way down to F and an announcement for indie lights that on one hand I thought, Oh, this is surprising, but you think about it. You think about some of the connections. It probably makes a lot more sense. And that's Firestone uh, coming to indie lights starting next year. Correct? Right. Yes. 2023. So all to come on this week's episode, but we start with kind of the, the big news of the week, really the big news of the day is that was announced today. McLaren with the announcement We're excited to announce Felix Rosenquist will remain on our McLaren Racing driver roster from 2023 and beyond. We'll confirm whether Felix will drive for Aero McLaren SP or our Formula E team in due course. That does not uh, give a lot of confidence to me if you're Felix Rosenquist. Necessarily a vote of confidence. I guess for Felix Rosenquist, it's nice to know you have a job for the foreseeable future in uh, racing with McLaren. But not sure where, at least not yet. Yeah, and you have to remember, he did run in Formula E before his IndyCar career started. So that that's something you have to keep in mind. He was in Formula E, was it a couple seasons, right? Two dubs and three poles, I think. A couple of dozen races, you look at his Formula E record, solid job. And that's a series where if you're not experienced in it, it can be really tough to adapt. Right to the cars, the circuits, everything. So on one hand, yes, it's a global series. So on that aspect, if he wants to be more European-based, he could easily do that in Formula E, and it would probably be a little bit more comfortable. As far as the the schedule goes, I, I mean, I don't think they've announced their schedule for 2023, right? Not that I know of. So as far as looking at conflicts, would he still run IndyCar races if he goes full-time to Formula E. I would think he would if there's no conflict, say, for the month of May. And in particular, yeah. the Indy 500. True. Is he an option? Would McLaren look for, you know, a quote-unquote better option for that Indy-only seat? We don't know how much longer Juan Papa Montoya would be a candidate for that part-time seat. So I we were texting back and forth, you know, earlier about this, Caleb, and it almost feels like... Felix Rosenquist is the backup plan for McLaren in IndyCar if it cannot land somebody that they feel is of greater stature and promise than Felix Rosenquist. I don't know if that's Arenas VK. I don't know if it's somebody else. But this feels like a TBA decision based on if the team can get someone, in their opinion, better for that third seat. 
yeah, he's he's the fallback option. It's oh, if I ask this girl to the dance and she says no, then then I'll take you. The, yeah, you're you're the backup plan. <laughs> and, and you look at it with, with Felix Rosenquist. You know, fifty three races over four years, one win, three podiums, two poles. He has not won with McLaren in one and a half years being with the team. Of course, he got that win with Chip Ganassi Racing. So. For a team that eyes wins and eyes championships, if you had to judge right now, Caleb, has Felix Rosenquist done enough to keep his IndyCar seat for 2023? If they want continuity, I would say yes. If they want race wins, obviously no. However, we we look at some of the options that have been rumored out there. Scott Dixon, one of them. And while Scott Dixon has the Indy 500 poll, he, he hasn't won this year. He hasn't won in over a calendar year now, it was Texas of last year, back in April and May last right. year was March this year. Yeah. But I mean, he's not one over a calendar year. Yes. He's six in points and he's Scott Dixon. I, I would think if McLaren can get him, they'll take him and no one's going to blame McLaren for that move. At least they shouldn't. Right. Same with Alex below hasn't won a race this year, but fifth in points last year, series champion rinse repeat. Same. Right. Right is arenas VK and we've talked about that conversation. That's where I think it gets interesting to me Yeah, because Renus VK has the pull at Barber, but he only has one podium this year. And outside of that podium as a, a top 10 finish to start the season at St. Pete and sixth and then 10th at Texas. And that's it. He's really struggled since the Indy GP where he struggled in that event. So he hasn't registered a top 10 since his podium at Barber. He sits back in 14th in the point standings behind his teammate, Connor Daly, who apparently was being eyed for a McLaren ride, kind of in discussions. But everything we're hearing and seeing, VK, Pelo, and Dixon are the top candidates. And then you have Tony Kanan saying a candidate that's completely out there, and we don't know who that would be. Would it be... Oh, Nicholas Latifi? M- maybe. You know, I mean, the, the all expectations he's going to be out at the end of the year. Correct. Out of Williams. Yeah. Daniel Ricardo. I, I don't think I think he still stays at McLaren unless something disastrous happens the rest of the season for, just, for the F1 team. Yeah. And I don't think if Daniel Ricardo gets effectively fired from his McLaren F1 seat that he's going to be too keen on coming over here and racing for McLaren one and for two for significantly less amount of money. Correct. I'm going to throw another name out there. Okay. So if we're talking off the wall names and Tony Kanaan made it sound like it would be this really off the wall name. Hold on. Don't say it yet. Let me think on who I have in mind. Go ahead. And and to be fair, this is me completely speculating. I received no information on this. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. Well then that goes my idea out of the window. Give me Raikkonen. Really? It makes zero sense, but who knows? You know, I think a lot of people saw that track house announcement with right. their third car, and yeah. a lot of people thought Raikkonen could could run in that car. Could he be an option on the IndyCar side? I highly doubt it. This again, pure speculation. I highly doubt there's any legs to it, but I'm just trying to think of off-the-wall names. Another name we haven't mentioned as far as the future, we talked about could Juan Pablo Montoya, you know, could could that have been his swan song at the Indy 500 and then Felix Rosenquist kind of slips into that spot if he moves over to the Formula E team. You know, could Montoya be a full-time driver again? Man, it's tough to see that. I mean, we see Elio Castroneves come back full-time 
And while he has shown pace at certain places, he's also had plenty of issues and really has been a non-factor in terms of the championship discussion. I don't know if Juan Pablo Montoya, especially with his son, right, getting more and more involved in racing, if he wants to commit to a full-time IndyCar season. I just don't think that's something Juan Pablo Montoya wants to do anymore. The the name I was thinking, and I know this is another uh, person that said he'd never do a full-time IndyCar season, is Fernando Alonso. Of course, I um, I still kind of expect him to be an F one next year. I, I know expect Alpine Renault, not to make a move. Or, or yeah, sorry, Alpine. I'm thinking Renault. Yeah, same team. Alpine has Piastri and Ocon and Alonso. They have to make decisions. I mean, Ocon's not going anywhere. No, I would think Alonso would stay at least one more year. I would think so as well. He was very buoyed by the fact that starting on the front row. Uh, last weekend, it wanted to lead a lap at least, but that didn't happen. I don't even think he led in the first turn for the start that Verstappen got. But is it a possibility going into the future at some point? Maybe when we talk off the wall names, that's the first one at least that popped into my head. Tony Kanaan made it sound like via his tweet a few weeks ago that it, it would basically blow our minds. So it's probably... Are One of the holding, names in discussion, it's yeah. it's probably someone we've still not guessed. Are we holding too much to are we looking too much into a single tweet by somebody that is in the know, yes, but not in the know at McLaren in terms of Tony Kanan's tweet? Could be. It would have to be someone that Kanan knows, right? Right. To have tweeted that information and to reveal it. So you would think it'd be someone on Ganassi. And then that, yeah, true. But then that would presume that McLaren has the person they want to fill that seat. And I'm not necessarily sure they do right now. Yeah, I think they're still negotiating because why else would they announce what they announced with Rosenquist of a to be determined what series he'll be in, but he'll be with our team. Well, I mean, to to look at another layer, you know, do they lock in Felix Rosenquist because they don't want to lose him? to a potential rival team in IndyCar or elsewhere. So they at least sign him, but still haven't figured out where they have him slotted for next year yet. So a lot of layers to this thing, for sure. Ultimately, what do you expect? Do you expect Rosenquist to be with Aero McLaren SP? Or do you expect him to be with their new Formula E team? I feel he slots into Formula E, and I think the leader in the clubhouse right now would be Arenas VK sliding over to McLaren at this point. I would agree with both. I think the hang up is maybe just they can't get anywhere with VK contract wise because some I forget who reported this, but some sort of out that happens, I think, August 1st. Really? So maybe that could be the delay that they're discussing things behind the scenes, but they can't formally announce anything until that time. Could be. Could very well could be. Could be the fact that McLaren has a handful of people on their list and they want to go through that with Felix Rosenquist's name being in that discussion. So that'll be one of the fascinating things to watch. And as of right now in the silly season, that is kind of the biggest story right now. And do we see then dominoes fall, whether it be Renus VK or somebody from Ganassi or something go over to McLaren and then see those dominoes then begin to fall based on the fallout from that. Yeah, it is the most coveted seat that we know that is available. And I'm sure it will end with people upset as it always does, <laughs> at least on yeah. social media. Well, you know, you can't please everybody, of course. And, you know, so 
this is going to be a storyline to watch, and you have to look at uh, you know Lena Slunquist, which we'll get to maybe a, a slot for him coming up in a little bit, but also the other potential Indy Lights drivers that could jump up to IndyCar. So we haven't gotten a Marshall Pruitt silly season update in a while, and I'm sure it's being worked on. Hopefully we'll get it soon to at least get some clarity or maybe some added names. But as of right now, a lot of things to consider. All right, let's get to that. You mentioned Linus Lundquist, Racer.com, Marshall Pruitt, reporting that the relationship between Dale Coin Racing, HMD Motorsports could expand with another entry, NTT IndyCar Series next season. David Malukas would be paired with Sato, and then they would add a third car, DCR with HMD car, and this would be with Linus Lundquist. And again, this is the guy who is dominating Indy Lights, He's having a great season. He will be the guy advancing, I think, for sure to IndyCar next year. There could be one other, and that other driver is Benjamin Peterson. He has a test with Hunko's Hollinger Racing coming up here in a couple of weeks as well. That test day is set for June 27th. Yeah, Yeah, so so coming up in a few days' time. So... He's third in the light standings. They're halfway as well. So a couple of names to keep an eye on. Well, let's look at this. So Dale Coyne and HMD partner to run Linus Lundquist in Indy Lights. And he is the leader in Indy Lights standings, correct, right now? And I want to say by a significant margin. Yes. So when we look at this relationship going forward, Dale Coyne's got a decision to make. Because I don't think this is necessarily the best decision to expand to three car, three full-time cars. I mean, right now they have Sato in 18th and Malukas in 19th in points. That's not great. And we're, we've seen kind of the impact on Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan of expanding without the personnel in place, particularly in the engineering department and how that's affected them. So this is basically a move that HMD wants to make that they want to keep Linus Lundquist. And, you know, long-term, does it benefit Dale Coyne to keep Linus Lundquist as opposed to him going elsewhere probably but I feel with this team and its size and its assets I don't know if three full-time runners is the best decision so could this be a temporary thing until Takuma Sato eventually retires and who knows that could be 10 years from now knowing him but could this be a temporary thing because I don't I don't know if three full-time cars at coin is the best idea well, as always, it comes down to people and Dale Coyne telling Racer, if we get the people, yes. Problem right now is getting the people and I would want to get the people before I commit to another car. But we're thinking about all that right now. Yeah, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan could also use people. So that is always, everybody, we always talk about money, right? Money is big, but people are also big. You have to be people ready. You need to have them people ready, intelligent people Unless, so people not like us. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's beside the point. <laughs> All right, so that's a look at some of the silly season kind of news and things that have trickled in here in recent weeks. All right, time for our IndyCar midseason grades. And yes, I understand it is eight races complete out of 17. But with this gap, it feels like the halfway point would you would you agree with well that? yeah i feel like in a lot of ways a lot of these teams approach before indy and after indy and considering we've had these successive races uh back to back to back weekends we really haven't been able to catch our breath 
very much, let alone the team. So a much needed break for all involved. It does feel very much like midseason. All right. So just the full-time teams will give a letter grade. I'll go in alphabetical order just so there's no shenanigans going on. <laughs> so we'll start with AJ Foy Enterprises. What's your letter grade? Um, man, I'm looking at their results right now here. I would say C minus. I'm going to go with C. Yeah, I, I, was I agree. C or C minus. I mean, Kirkwood has shown promise for sure. The problem is, is Kirkwood's gone after this year. So yes. if we were looking at Kyle Kirkwood or any driver in this position with Foyt and, and there was a future here, at least a next year, then I think I could bump the grade up to a C or even a C plus. Cause you'd say, Hey, look at Kirkwood. He's showing potential. This team has shown, you know, the ability to do something. They're hitting reset because Kirkwood is gone next year. So Tatiana Calderon has done a serviceable job. She hasn't wrecked race cars. I think at that, this point, that's been the, you know, the success. And then Dalton Kellett, you know, unfortunately just continues to, in my opinion, not be a competitive race car driver in IndyCar. Kellett is at least not causing issues for other drivers. Calderon, I think we're seeing improvement each outing. And we knew it would be hard. She's learning all the tracks. She's right. a rookie. I mean, it's just, it's a hard situation and not running the full schedule. So you don't have as much continuity there. Right. Kirkwood, like you said, we've, we've had flashes of talent, but he's gone after this year, but he has shown that they can do things in qualifying and have raw speed at, at courses. And yes, some of it's his talent. Some of it's the team. They're working together to make that happen. So that's why I went a little bit higher with a C. All right. Yeah, and Kellett, I mean, the lowest in terms of points of full-time drivers, I mean, even behind Santino Ferrucci and Tony Kanaan. I mean, Tony Kanaan did one race. Now he finished third at the Indianapolis 500 double points. But the fact remains, Dalton Kellett is is behind two folks that have not started every race. And that means that, I mean, Ferrucci's done three and Kanaan's done one. All right, we move on in alphabetical order. Our next team Andretti Autosport. Well, I will go first. Yeah. 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 I yeah. will go first this time. Okay. We'll just alternate. I'm going to go B minus. Here's why. They have won a race as a team. Yeah. Alexander Rossi has shown some form, especially the past several races. Grosjean at least has a podium. Yes. Steve Francesco's had some incidents on the track in multiple races. I guess we're not surprised by that, though, as him being a rookie and a guy that we thought would benefit from another year of lights. But. They'd work this deal out. That's how it's set up. As far as pace goes, they've had pace. They've had some pulls. It's been inconsistent, but they've had pace. And I think Grosjean has been a, a bit more disappointing. Yeah. But he, I mean, he's he's kind of been all over the map. He's He gets a top five. He finishes mid-pack or, or, or worse. So, but him 12th. Herda 11th, which I think is very surprising, but he has put together a couple good races since Indy, which was just a disaster since that carb day crash. Rossi, though, actually on the fringe of competing for the championship. That's why that grade goes up quite a bit. So I'm going B minus. I will go C plus for Andretti Autosport. And, you know, you made some good points for sure. The fact remains, though, they have zero drivers in the top six in points. Alexander Rossi is seventh. They have one driver in the top 10 in points looking at Herta. That's a disappointment at 11th. And I think it's a, it's a disappointment for Roman Grosjean to be 12th at this point. We felt going into the year 
Romain Grosjean was going to get his first IndyCar win this year, and he sits after eight races having a single podium, that runner-up at Long Beach. I, I'm going to say, I, I think Romain Grosjean is is underperforming this year, and I'm not putting 100% of the blame on him. I'm saying that the entire team has not performed to the level that it should. And Devlin DeFrancesco, we've talked about him at length as well. I mean, he's a guy that probably came to IndyCar too early, I'm not going to be as rough on him as some drivers have been, particularly Will Power, but fact remains that he's probably in over his head this year, and I don't know if he's able to move on from that and and show pace next year or the year after, or this is a guy that's just in the seat purely because of the check he brings. And and, and I think you always look at the long-term prospects for Andretti Autosport, and you say, okay, you lose – your best performing driver through the first eight races of the season, at least, he's already leaving next year for McLaren and Alexander Rossi. So where's this team at next year, I think, is the question, because three of these four guys are back, and then you're adding Kyle Kirkwood to the mix next year. So I would really like to see good finishes the second half of the year for Herta and Grosjean in particular. But right now, I think it's a C plus. You add Kirkwood, you get younger. He's talented, but he's also not proven yet. So that's something to keep in mind for the future. All right. Aero McLaren SP, you will go first this time. I will. So let's look at it. And I would say B minus for McLaren. Yeah, I was thinking for myself, I'm going to go B plus. I wasn't going to say A A minus, but I think it's a little strong. I mean, a single win yeah. between the two, or you know, the three, if you add Juan Pablo Montoya. Pato in fourth in points. I mean, you have two in the top eight, so you feel pretty good there. It's just the, the problem has been both of them being in contention at the end of races at the same time. Correct. Right? And, and you throw in Montoya, another competitive run in the Indy 500, finishing in 11th. So he's been solid in that third entry, at least for the 500. We, we never expect much out of the road course race from him, but it is a good warm-up. Like you said, they have a race win. Rosenquist does not have a win. He does have a pole. He's put together a really solid run of races competing on at the front, the upper half of the top 10. I think he's turned it around outside of winning, obviously. There's not much more he can do with what he's done since the Indy GP to try to retain that seat. Right. Pato, I think, has been pretty solid. You get that contract stuff settled. You get the win at Barber. Yes, he, he's had that mechanical issue at Road America, but overall, I mean, I think he's been solid. He's been in contention most of the weeks. It's just consistency, and, and Rosenquist has been consistent. Pato has been a little bit more over the map, but when he's been on it, he's really on it and competing for wins. So, yeah, I'll go B+. Plus. You're, you're going B-. minus. Yeah, I feel of the, of the, two, of the three teams we've talked about, they, the first two had clear deficiencies at the bottom i could say and i know they only have two cars full-time cars at least but you feel pretty confident in both pato award and felix rosenquist in terms of in those seats there's no there's no back markers with that lineup and, and they only get stronger going into next year adding rossi and then be pato and either felix or someone else continuing on with our full-time teams chip ganassi racing am i first this time or is it you i already it forgot the order you it is me okay I'm going to go in A. <laughs> I, okay. I don't see how you can go yeah. go worse than an A grade, whether it's A plus, A minus, or an A. I'm going a solid A. Obviously, winning the Indy 500, winning the Indy 500 pole, being absolutely outstanding at Indy, 
all four drivers, no, five, all five yeah. in the Fast 12, if you will. And what they've done, I mean, based on expectations, Tony Kanaan, great in his only race, third at the Indy 500. Marcus Erickson, if you would have told me before this year started that Marcus Erickson would be the Indy 500 winning driver and the top Ganassi guy in points at this point in the season, I would not have believed you. But that's where we're at. He's been remarkably consistent, and that goes back to, what, the end of 2020, where he's been good about getting consistent finishes for the most part. Pelo, yes, he's winless. Dixon, yes, he's also winless, but they're right there, fifth and sixth in points. Jimmy Johnson, I guess that's the the one thing from it being an A+. Yes, he had that breakout run at Texas, but we need to see him do it again somewhere else. Well, when you look at the consistency of this team, and I'm going to give it an A-, and I'm just adding the minus because of Jimmy Johnson, is Marcus Erickson, obviously Indy 500 winner, only two finishes outside the top 10. And that's a, a combination of double points, finishing first at Indy, and that consistency is why Marcus Erickson right now is in first in points. Then you look at Alex Polo, just two races also outside of the out of the top 10. Now that Road America 27th really hurt him. Otherwise, it was the Indy GP in 18th. Otherwise, he's in the top 10. You look at Scott Dixon, just one outside the top 10. Unfortunately, that was Indy with the double points. That's what hurt him. So when we're looking at the top three drivers at Ganassi, all of them have performed very very well. I think you would feel maybe they should have more than just the single win right now, but in terms of getting results, top tens, nobody is better at this point. All right, we move forward with our mid-season grades for the teams, and we move to Dale Coin Racing. My turn? I think so. I've probably gotten this order wrong already. No, no, I think it is my turn. Uh, I got the odds, so one, three, and five. So this is the fifth team. For this team, I'm going to say it's always tough because you got to grade these teams different based on expectations. I feel like I still go C, I feel, with Dale Coyne Racing. I'm going C minus. I guess I expected a little more with having Sato there. And while he had good qualifying and the team overall was quick again at Indy. And and I guess we shouldn't be surprised by this anymore. Right. Because they seem to do it every year, but I expected more. Yeah. He has two top tens, a couple of other mid pack finishes, but 18th in points, not what you would have expected for him. Malukas, a rookie in 19th. I mean, it's hard to have expectations for any rookie driver. That's just how I feel about it. True. And he's had some flashes, especially Detroit in qualifying had the fastest race lap there, finished 11th, has a couple of 11th place finishes on the season as his best, and a 12th as well. So I'm not going to say anything bad or negative about his season because I don't think there's really a whole lot bad or negative to say. But with Sato, I guess I expected a little more. When you look at Malukas, he's in second place in the Rookie of the Year standings. He's 17 points behind Christian Lugard. So that's still attainable for David David Malukas. And I, I agree with you. I feel like, you know, he's been able to be steady, hasn't crashed that much, bringing the car back in one piece for a rookie uh, that's really learning the ropes. I, I feel like that's that's all you can ask. Takuma Sato, everybody talks about so much about his oval prowess, the, the two ovals. He's 20th at Texas and 25th at Indy. So those are two of his worst finishes, and those are supposed to be the strengths of Takuma Sato is on the ovals. So are we seeing indications that 
Takuma Sato is reaching that point where he needs to consider retirement. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but if he get the first, the second half of the season is as rough as the first half. I think that's a case to be made for that. So we started this episode talking about potentially a third car added to Dale Coyne. I haven't seen it. Uh, I haven't seen it warranted out of their two drivers over the course of this season, 18th and 19th in points after eight races. All right, we move on to Ed Carpenter Racing, and I believe I am up first this time. Yes, sir. If I get the order we, correct. We got it now. We're, we're rolling. I'm going to go a C, and I feel like I'm maybe being a little nice. Really? But I'm going to go a C. Connor Daly's been a bright spot for this team, especially since the Indy GP, where he got that top five. He's turned his season around, really kind of turned his career around, if you think about it, because he sure. struggled last season as well with his team. But he's 13th in points, and, and to me, if you're in that top half the field, and you're not with one of the big four teams, I think you're having a pretty pretty good season, right? So right. he's had a really good run uh, of results. Fifth Indy GP, sixth uh, at Indy, led laps again, 12th at Detroit, 14th Road America, but he's beating his teammate, and I think that that's, that's step one, and he's 13th, so he's right in the middle of the pack. Pretty solid first half of the season for Connor. Now you get to Renus VK and Ed Carpenter. Story changes. Yes, VK has the pole and the podium at Barber in a race that he probably feels like he should have won. But since then, his season is, I don't know how else to say it, it's been a disaster. 23rd at the NDGP in the rain race there. Dead last in the Indy 500. Mid-pack at Detroit and Road America. Just never really was a factor. And then Ed Carpenter, who had speed in qualifying for the Indy 500. But... Didn't really show anything. 19th in that race, 13th at Texas. I think it's, uh, you have to say it's disappointing with the other two entries. I'm going to go a C. Man, it's tough to argue after the case that that you made. I'll I'll go C minus. I'll be a little bit more harsh just so we can be different. Ed Carpenter has not been a factor on race days at Texas or Indy. Yeah, he showed speed, got in the fast nine, all that stuff. That's great, but he was a non-factor at Indy throughout the 500 miles. Connor Daly at 13th is is the bright spot and you would think if that was his position 13th and Renus VK was in the top 10 in points, I think you need to potentially move Ed Carpenter up as racing as much of, as a letter grade, but unfortunately Renus VK just hasn't had it this year. Has one podium. Other than that, I think he's had three total top 10s. I mean, it's just not been a good season for Renus VK. Which, you know, then makes you look at the fact that he's potentially coveted by McLaren. And has he done enough to warrant that? I think if he would have taken another step forward in his development this year, and, and, and of course he still has nine races, he could get a win or even two races, or two wins the rest of the way. But through the first eight races, Renis VK has underperformed to expectations. Well, and real quick before we move on. I think the difference on why I would argue to keep Felix over Renus for that McLaren seat for Aero McLaren SP is just simply, you know that Felix is largely going to bring the car home right, and get you consistency. Now, he's not always going to have the pace to run at the front. Renus VK, I would say, has more top-end pace when the car's there. But as far as consistency, I would take Felix. And I get that's that's boring, and they want to win races. I understand that, but... Step one is just finishing the race. Right. Absolutely. All right. We move 
forward in our midseason grades and the next team on the list. Again, only doing full season entries. And we go to Hunkos Hollinger Racing. Now, this is one that's very tricky, right? It's very tricky agree. based on expectations, results, reality of being the only uh, single car team on the grid. And Callum Eilat, you have to remember, did not participate in Detroit. Santino Ferrucci participated for him. So that kind of changes his point standings. I mean, look, you, you give him points for that Detroit race for Eilat. I mean, he moves up at least a slot, maybe several. And you look at his performances. Am I up or am I jumping the gun? I was waiting for you to throw it to me yeah. to give my letter grade because <laughs> yeah. it is See, indeed my turn. I'm very bad at this. So. I'm going to go B. B. Okay. Going to go Hollinger Racing. I'll tell you why. Uh, well, as you mentioned, this is the lone single car team, full time running. And you look at Callum Eilat sitting 22nd in points. He's three behind Kyle Kirkwood, and that's with missing a race. So. Most likely, if Callum Eilat starts the race that he missed at Detroit, he's ahead of Kyle Kirkwood in the points. And we sat here praising about how good Kyle Kirkwood has been with Foyt, with a big asterisk knowing where Foyt is as a multi-car team. You look at Callum Eilat and his performance equal, if not better, to Kyle Kirkwood with a single-car team in its first full season, right? So... I think it's a bright spot with what that team has been able to do. And Eilat, he got an eighth at uh, the Indy GP. It's his lone top 10 finish, but finished 11th at Road America. I think this team is doing the right thing in take, terms of taking incremental steps. They didn't overstep themselves and add a second car for Indy, despite outward pressure from IndyCar potentially. I think it's staying on course, staying on plan. And we've seen how that worked for Meyer Shank Racing and continues to do so. I feel like this team is in the right direction. In terms of expectations or results, I think they've done pretty well. I give them a B. I will go B plus because not only do they have a couple of results, you mentioned the 8th and the 11th place finishes, but also in qualifying. They've had pace and almost advanced to fast six sessions, which is, I think, very surprising when you look at, again, single car team with a rookie driver who, yes, he had the three races last year, but I mean, these are new tracks for him so far. So outside of the IMS road course. So you look at it that way and it's very impressive that the speed, the pace they've shown just being that single car team, I have to go B plus. I have to give them a really good grade because yes, he sits 22nd in points, which is not that impressive, but a rookie driver, one car team, what they've been able to do. They've showed pace. They've been competitive. They've never, we've never questioned their ability as far as, oh, they're just complete backmarkers. That's that's never been an issue. And I think that was the fear we had last year with that entry, and even going into this year, and that's simply not been the case. It's been, I, I think, and if you talk to, to uh, Ricardo Juncos, it's been a reasonably successful season. Really haven't been hit insanely hard by damage. You know, there's been some incidents with Cal Milot, but nothing to really say, man, this is really costing the team more than they expected. So, I think they're on schedule. We'll see if they add that second full car, full time team in 2023. All right. Next on the list. And I am going first this time. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is Meyer Shank racing. The full time entries of Elio Castro Nevis and Simon Pagino. This one's kind of tough for me because on one hand, Pagino, I think has been as expected 10th in the points. Uh, he does have a second place in the Indy GP, a race. He always performs well. 
in his solid top 10 in points. That's what you'd expect from him on that team. And maybe would have expected him to contend more for a race win, but that's where we're at. Meanwhile, Elio kind of all over the map, 17th in points. He's been a little bit more disappointing, but he was solid in the Indy 500 as expected. I'm going to go a B minus for this team. I would agree. Actually, I can't make a case for it to be higher. Well, I'm going to go C plus. I'll be different. I think when you felt that you looked at this team makeup and you feel Simon Pagino was maybe that missing piece in terms of coming from Penske and still having some life in him in terms of competing for championships. And I feel like that's where Meyer Shank racing their next step is. And I feel like they could take that with Simon Pagino. And that really kind of hasn't been the case, right? He hasn't been terrible. His lowest finish is 19th at Long Beach, but it, he also has just a single podium, and that was the GP, right? And and I feel like, unfortunately for Elio Castroneves, now he was fast at Detroit, he was fast at Indy, he showed some signs at Long Beach, but by and large, just hasn't been there. And unfortunately, it's kind of what I expected out of Elio Castroneves coming into this year. I just, I don't feel he's where he's at in his career to be a, a, a race-in, race-out contender in IndyCar. I understand the deal that Meyer Shank made with him. I'm not I'm not questioning their decision. I'm just saying the performance has met my expectations in terms of race results or Elio Castroneves. Well, the other thing is they've had qualifying pace on some race weekends as well, but not been able to capitalize. The obvious example of that would have been Detroit, right? So right. With, with both cars getting the, the strategy wrong for that event. So it, it's a team that I think could they win a race second half of the season? Absolutely. I yeah. I, I think they're a team that could. They'd be a contender. But of the teams that have not won a race this year, I mean, them, you have Meyer Shank, the Ray Hall team. I get the Ray Hall team struggled, but I think those are kind of the three teams that we would expect to maybe sneak in a win. And they're definitely one of those teams that seems to be best positioned to do so. Yeah, I would agree. So uh, this could be a grade that that goes up over the course of of the season, but you'd like to see them get at least one win. All right. Next on the list, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Here we go. Is it my turn? I believe it is. Oh, dear. Um, Man. D. Is that I would agree. Mean? No, no, <laughs> I, mean, I, I agree. That's the grade I was planning to give them. I just, you, you look at it. I mean, Ray Hall... And Lungard sitting 15th and 16th. Jack Harvey in 20th. Now, Jack Harvey did not start that Texas race. So maybe there's a, there's an asterisk there, but he's still 18 points behind David Malukas for 19th. So who knows if he even makes that up in that Texas race. But this is a team that you know has, has struggled mightily throughout the season. I mean, do they have... No, they don't have a single podium. Do they even have a top five? Top five for the Ray Hall team? No. No. No, they don't. They don't even have... Yeah, best finish is, is six, is seventh a couple of times by Graham Ray Hall. This is the expectations when you added a third car, full-time car, for this team, and you bring over Jack Harvey and give him a multi-year deal. You did not sign him to go be 20th in points without a single top 10 finish. Graham Ray Hall needs to be better. There's no doubt about that. We We can make excuses about not being a fast qualifier and all that stuff that just goes back to 
not being a complete race car driver, right? I, I just feel like we don't talk about Mario Andretti and say, other than the fact he couldn't drive faster in qualifying, other than that he was good, or you look at Scott Dixon, other than he couldn't perform on road courses, he was very good. There, there, there shouldn't be an asterisk when we're talking about very good race car drivers. Graham Ariel is not a very good race car driver, in my opinion, because he can't qualify well. Well, you bring that up and it's used as a crutch in the past because, oh, Graham Rahal charged from 20th to 3rd or 25th to 5th or whatever on the grid. Well, he's not doing that now. And then that shows. And that's why this team is struggling. You know, if you're not able to drive through the field when you're a poor qualifier, right. you're not going to have good results. It's and, that simple. Yeah. And you can throw around the fact that you can blame the team. You can blame the setup. At the end of the day, it's over 250 career races for Graham Rahal. That's enough to say he is not a good qualifier. What do you have? Three poles over 253 races. And that's not breaking down, you know, top three, top five starts. He's just a guy that digs himself a hole time and time again. And unfortunately, Maybe it's a different, you know, it wasn't a different story even with the other teams. It was the same case of things, right? So he's not at a powerful enough team to make up those issues. And I don't know if he's a good enough race car driver to consistently make up these issues. But I think Lungard, he's another guy that I think he's done enough as a rookie, right? He leads the rookie points right now in position to win rookie of the year. If he can perform over the final nine races, I think he's at as advertised. It's always a TBA, I feel, for rookies, right? But in terms of the other full-time drivers, Graham Rahal, I think the only thing that doesn't make this an F is Christian Lungard. Yeah, I would agree. You know? He has put together some solid results here and there. And again, leading the rookie of the year standings, I think that is the thing that pushes them above that F grade for me. He is 19 points behind Graham Rahal in the points. At this point in the season, that shouldn't be for a veteran driver in Graham Rahal. Same team, same equipment, same staff, you know, engineering. You know, we all meet with the same people. For a rookie to be only 19 points behind Graham Rahal is is not good. So Graham Rahal can say they don't have people, enough people, and I think that's part of the problem. But also I think part of the problem is you have a guy in Graham Rahal that has won six races over 235 starts in his IndyCar career. I think we can t- say that he's not lived up to expectations. And I think, and we talked about this before, and this is a story for another time, when your A driver, if you're in your team, has six wins over 235 races, that's not a good A driver to me, especially when you want to put yourself in the conversation or compete with Ganassi, Penske, McLaren, and Andretti. He's been a fringe championship contender for years now since that breakout run in 2015 when he was a legitimate championship contender until the last couple of races. But, you know, like you said, he's a good driver and he does have three career poles, but two of those three in 2009 when he was with Newman Haas, it goes to show how long it's been. So you've got to be a better qualifier in the series to set yourself up for success. His qualifying is not improved this year. We thought it would. Jack Harvey has just been MIA all season. Lungard has done just enough to push that grade above a D. All right. Last full-time team on the grid, and I think we will both agree with the letter grade on this one, and it's Team Penske. Is it my turn? I no, believe I, it is mine. Yes, it is. I will go with an A-minus. 
Here's why. Yes, they've won, what, five of the eight races so far? Which is just crazy to, to think about. Scott McLaughlin got a pull and a win first race of the season, so he, he gets that first win in IndyCar right off the bat. Looking like he'd have two wins to open up the season. He's kind of struggled, though, since that Texas race. Um, kind of all over the place in results. Seventh at Road America. Joseph Newgarden, third in points, three wins, but not leading the championship. Will Power, outside of that, uh, getting struck from behind with Devlin DeFrancesco. Been pretty solid most of the season. The only thing I haven't talked about, well, they're completely MIA at Indy for now the third year in a row. So that's the only thing keeping this grade from being an A or an A+. Really? I'm going to go B+. And this is my reasoning. We talked about consistency. And Will Power starts off, has been reasonably consistent, right? I mean, he's yeah. he's been the apex of this. You know, New Garden has not been consistent. It's been wins or not good finishes, right? Yeah, it, it's been boomer bust for him. I mean... 16th at St. Pete, win at Texas, win at Long Beach, 14th at Barber, 25th at NEGP, 13th at Indy 500, 4th at Detroit, won the pole, but they had this wrong strategy, and then obviously won and dominated at Road America. Yeah. So I gave what I gave uh, Chip Ganassi Racing an A-. minus. I can't grade Team Penske higher than that, and I know they have five wins. I understand that, but you look at power... And uh, to me, you know, a lot of people talk Joseph Newgarden in terms of consistency. To me, Joseph or Will Power is the guy in the position to maximize his final nine races and win the championship right now. From what I've seen, Joseph Newgarden hasn't had the the, the consistency that Will Power has. And I think Scott McLaughlin starts the year off with a win and a second at Texas, and then hasn't had a top five since. And we talked about McLaughlin all of a sudden being this force in IndyCar after the first two races, and that's kind of gone away since Texas. So I'm putting a B-plus on it because I think they expected more out of Scott McLaughlin through the first eight races, and they've had some hiccups with Joseph Newgarden as well. So I'm going B-plus. I'm going with A-minus simply because they gave Ganassi an A, and Pinsky, I, I can't put them as high only because their struggles at the Indy 500 and just the fact that you mentioned boomer bust for pretty much all the drivers except Will Power, who's been a lot more consistent. All right. If you agree or disagree with our grades or anything else, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. Also, while you're there, check out the store. We have stickers and shirts for sale. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, our handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, just like us at New Track Record. And you can also email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And we're on Patreon. And thanks to Cole and Rob and others, our patrons on Patreon. We have four different tiers for you, all starting at just $1 a month. And as always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us for free, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or wherever you find your podcasts, again, all for free. Okay, Justin, mailbag time. Not a lot to get to. Not that this is really a surprise, right? It, quiet week in IndyCar. We start, we talked about this last week, the MLS deal with Apple TV. 500 Indy 1911 on Twitter tweets, an MLS Apple TV deal, $25 billion over 10 years, 28 teams times 34-game season, 952-game regular season, 
$262,605 per regular season game. Not crazy. When you break it down into math, that's not great. And again, we mentioned it last week and other people pointing this out. They are paying for production costs, the MLS. So that does take away a little bit of that money. Well, I need to see what it's compared to with their other TV deals. I mean, if it's a, if it's a significant bump from what they were getting, it's a darn good deal. Yeah, and again, those other TV deals not finalized yet, so that's something to keep in mind here. I do think it's a groundbreaking move considering an entire league is going to stream, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. That's going to be the trend for some of these lower, lower-tier professional series, which, let's admit, it includes IndyCar. Yes. All right, you tweeted this over the weekend. Easiest take a shot when you hear games for major motorsports series. F1, porpoising. IndyCar, danger zone. Cup, overtime. A couple of replies here. That that was spot on, by the way. <laughs> uh, Poet Shevchenko says, or as a mention of the danger zone in the Canadian GP qualifying. That was for the dry weather tires on a wet track, though. Bra Fog says, interchangeable options for IndyCar. Ninja, Youngster, Sneaky Swede. <laughs> True. And then River Lee with a bunch of numbers. I'm not going to read DRS. <laughs> I do think the DRS was a good call. I think you would be getting your stomach pumped by lap 20 of every F1 race. If yeah. you took a shot every time you heard DRS. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We uh, tweeted. Hmm. In regards to the McLaren news on Felix Rosenquist, not confirming his team. Post Shevchenko says, now that I think about it, this does represent a silly season rarity. We usually know which series a driver will be in, but not which team. But this time we know the team, but not the series. Right? A little bit weird. And then he adds, Mid-Ohio is going to be a high-pressure race for Rosenquist. I hope he wins. Look, if he gets a race win, he makes that decision that much harder. I would agree. And then Jamin T14, Zach Brown choosing. It's a gif of a guy throwing some dice. (laughs) Very nice. So you look at uh, some of the options here. We posted a poll that is still active until a little after noon Eastern time Friday. So if you download and listen before then go to twitter.com IndyCar podcast is the handle who drives the number seven era McLaren SB IndyCar in 2023. 36% of you say Felix Rosenquist again, active poll as we speak 33% Renus VK 19% other 12% Scott Dixon Atlanta Cat 99 says Linus Lundquist. Maybe. Who knows? I mean, look, you got to remember they went with Pato Award and Oliver Askew in 2020. And if, you know, Linus Lundquist continues to dominate the competition in Indy Lights like he has done the first half of the year, I feel like maybe a higher tier IndyCar team will take a look at him. And let's remember, money talks, right? Right. And having that extra, what, $1.2 million and change? It does help. And, it, and I it feel helps like, a lot. And McLaren isn't afraid to take a risk on a driver that's not yet proven, right? We've seen that. Ask you. Pato, at that point. We look at Felix Rosenquist. I feel like when you look at Penske, they're going to wait, by and large, until these guys are established, until they make a run. But McLaren, I think, has shown that they're not afraid to maybe take a pass on somebody that could potentially turn out to be really, really successful. And then another reply, this by you, Frank Montagny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I heard. I, I haven't he, heard that name since uh, 2009, uh, 2010? maybe before. I don't know. He definitely ran Champ Car, right? 2007, and was he in the final Long Beach race in 2008? I can't remember. I thought did he do any Indy Indy Lights or Indy Car starts? I'm I thought he sure. ran a couple for Andretti. 
there was that there was a Frank Pereira, Frank Montagny, and then wasn't there there was someone else that I'm Frank forgetting. Thomas. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> that's the baseball player. Oh yeah, that's right. You look at uh, IndyCar. Let's see. Yes, he did run with Andretti. In fact, oh. as recently as 2014, he did the IMS Road Course race. How about that? 22nd. He did uh, hey, road the final. Race that old. He was second place the final Long Beach uh, Champ Car race in 2008. That's with Forsyth Pettit Racing. And then he was with Andretti Green for one race in 2009 at Sonoma, finished 20th. See? So there you go. Impressive. See? Don't count him out. And also, he ran in Formula One, which I guess I did really? not realize. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. 2003 with Renault, 2005 with Jordan, 2006 hey. with Super Aguri F1, which means he would have been teamed up with Takuma Sato, if I'm not mistaken, for that. Hey. All right. There's a, there's a deep dive. Deep dive into Frank. Yes. All right. Well, as always, thanks for submitting your questions, comments. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, email, snail mail. And we'll get to your stuff each week in the mailbag. Okay, news and notes time, and not not a whole lot to get to here. I think we got to start, though, with the Firestone Indie Lights deal. And on one hand, I thought, oh, this is kind of surprising, Firestone replacing Cooper. But then I remembered, who owns the series? Roger hmm. Pinsky. Yeah. Who I think it makes a complete Dan Anderson sense. have the deal with Cooper? Well, hmm. you have a change as far as the promoter and the people handling the series, and it makes sense for Firestone to come back. You got to remember, Firestone was with the series for a very long time, 91 to 2013. And that was when IndyCar controlled Indy Lights, too, over that Well, it was across multiple. It was across CART, IRL, and IndyCar ownership at that time. So that is an exciting announcement that they made. And again, it was the title sponsor for the series as well for a time, Firestone Indy Lights, for several years. I'm trying to remember the exact time frame, but a good announcement nonetheless, and good to see Firestone stepping up. Also, they're going to build a new $21 million facility in Akron, Ohio, as part of all of this Advanced Tire Production Center, and that will produce the Firehawks used by the NTT IndyCar Series as well. So expansion, advancing things along, all good things. Well, and I think it makes sense as you look at what uh, they added with, what is it, USF Juniors. They add a series and then subtract a series. So I think everybody wins. And be more consistency between Indy Lights and, and IndyCar. And maybe potentially with that Firestone relationship, could it, it, it? I think it checks another box in terms of when teams are looking to invest in Indy Lights, potentially. And again, this will go into effect next year. Cooper Tires have been with Lights since 2014. So I think it was Firestone Indy Lights from... About 2011 through 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that sounds about right. All right, so it will still be Cooper tires, though, for USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000, as far as we understand. I'm ready. Let's go. All right, moving on with other items from news and notes and a couple of F1-related things as it connects to IndyCar. And one of those... You have Zach Brown. This is from Adam Stern. Zach Brown doesn't think the Andretti Global bid is dead yet, but he acknowledged it's meeting resistance, the F1 paddock, even though he's a supporter. We'll see if this comes about. I don't feel very confident. No, I feel like Zach Brown is one of the few involved in Formula One that is still pushing 
positivity with this thing. And then this also from Adam Stern. Colton Herta, extremely good chance of becoming an F1 driver if he performs well in testing. That's also from Zach Brown, whether with McLaren or another team. Brown says we're under contract to both our current drivers for 2023, so I don't see 2023 being an opportunity. Again, this is not a surprise. Nope, no, no, no. Some IndyCar-related announcements and news. First off, you have Jimmy Johnson. He's targeting a shot at running Le Mans next year, waiting on the IndyCar schedule on when it will be released. So he also, this from Jenna Fryer, disputes a rumor he will do ovals only next year. He says, it has not been in any discussions that I've had or any thought process that I've had since he wants to do the Le Mans project with Hendrick, but it will depend on the IndyCar schedule. So update there for you on Jimmy and his future in IndyCar and what he expects to do there. You have... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're like, no comment. comment. (laughs) So Elio, we didn't talk about this. Elio winning the SRX opener. He was the the option, like promoter's option, 13th entry. The day of. Yes. And Don Hawk, who I believe is the CEO of SRX, uh, he made a deal with Elio. Win a race and I'll get you a ride at Daytona. That was the deal. Elio wasn't even scheduled to compete, but now the deal is in place. And Hawk says he's working on getting Elio a Daytona 500 ride after the win last week. Love to see LAO run Daytona. That cool. would be very, very cool. All right. IndyCar testing. We don't really cover this quite simply because, well, it's testing. They had 19 cars run at Iowa earlier this week. Today, Thursdays, we record a handful of drivers on the IMS road course. Kirkwood, Award, Rosenquist, DeFrancesco, Grosjean, Herta, Rossi, and D. Silvestro participating in the test Thursday. So, that's a look at, at testing Pinsky went one, two, three at Iowa though. That's of note because well, just Newgarden will probably win one of those two, two races. Yeah. Bet it now. Yes. All right. Okay. Some F1 and NASCAR related things though, with some ties to IndyCar. That's quite interesting. First off, Adam Stern, NASCAR getting closer to announcing a new street race in Chicago. It would start next year per sources. Not yet clear who would lose a race, but NASCAR appears open to dropping a road course. And Road America doesn't have a deal yet for 2023. Oh, which is funny. We talked about last week, you know, Road we America did. having the NASCAR race, but the IndyCar crowd doesn't seem to be affected. Well, unfortunately for Road America, very close to Chicago. So they would probably want to make a regional deletion with a track. Yeah. To make, you know, that Chicago race, you know, even sexier. So shocked that it would even come to fruition in Chicago. I can't imagine it's through downtown Chicago. I feel like it's got to be somewhere else, right? No, it's really downtown. downtown Chicago. Yeah, it really is. And IndyCar, I guess NASCAR man RR tweeted this out a few days back that IndyCar had a a deal. It was a very similar course to what the NASCAR proposed course is. Really? Around the uh, the Grant Park and and then Lakeshore area. So, again, don't expect it to happen, but... We'll see. I mean, they're already further along than what I thought they would get. This from Sports Car 365. Andretti Alpine, a deal with Andretti Autosport to field customer Alpine LMDH cars would make full use of the French manufacturer's top class program in 2024, according to Alpine CEO Laurent Rossi. I feel like that Alpine Andretti relationship could eventually turn into 
how we see Andretti in Formula One. Yes, because that's the team as far as the engine manufacturer that right. we've all heard for months. I just feel like that's that's going to be the way in for Andretti is partnering with the existing Alpine team. This from Adam Stern. The word in Montreal was that a decision on F1 media rights is now close. Three serious bidders. Disney, which owns ESPN and ABC. Not a surprise. Comcast NBC. And then TV streaming service Amazon Prime Video. That from Joe Sward, who's an F1 writer. Man, would you imagine if Amazon Prime got it? Yeah, there'd be some people upset. (laughs) They don't like paying five bucks a month for Peacock. And then imagine if it got to Comcast and NBC where you have Peacock, you have IndyCar races that could be following F1 or True. or vice versa, you know, when they're on the North American side. Right. Which I, 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 I told you, it just Formula One races just don't hit as much with me when they're starting at two or three o'clock in the afternoon like we saw with Canada. But as a lead-in to the North American races for sure. IndyCar or yeah. following F1, I mean, maybe that could be a boon. Yeah, definitely. Or It, it didn't it, work before, unfortunately. Yeah, or it could bump IndyCar, unfortunately. Also that. And sad news, Speedway Motorsports founder Bruton Smith died earlier this week at 95. The longtime Charlotte Motor Speedway promoter and, and NASCAR promoter as well D- did a lot for the sport. Also did a lot for IndyCar. I know that people have their rifts with ISC and, and SMI, but he did a lot for IndyCar as well. Yeah, 95 years old. We should all be so lucky. Did a lot for motorsport in general, not just NASCAR. All right, time for Tweet of the Week, because it's just one. Tony DeZeno, IndyCar has bus bros. SRX has boat boys. I don't know if you... Did you watch SRX? I did not watch, okay. no. That's a reference to the broadcast, but I enjoyed it. It's fun. And it's fun, it's harmless, it's entertaining. (laughs) Like You don't have to overthink. I like the rules. It's not meant to be some big official thing. Yeah, it doesn't take itself too seriously, right? Yes, that's what I was looking for. And down at that that, uh, course down in Pensacola that we couldn't remember what the heck's name it was. Yeah, the Snowball Derby. Five Flag Speedway. Yep, I'm going to have to. It was uh, like 95 degrees. Was it really? Yeah. I'll have to go buy it next time in Pensacola next uh, spring. Check it out. Time for your random split era driver of the week. All right, we're going to go Kart 1999, and we're going to go with Naoki Hattori from Japan. Now, interesting, Naoki Hattori, a good story, too, because he's now a motorsports journalist uh, out of Japan. And looking at him, the only thing he did in 1999 was start for Walker Racing, eight starts in that season. Uh, He started the first race in Miami. Uh, the first race of the season was 25th. His best finish was at Laguna Seca, 14th in 1999. And that was his one and only season in cart. Did two Indy Light seasons with Team Green, 97 and 98. Wins there, finished 16th and 10th in points. But I think the most fascinating thing with Hattori was the story with the potential Formula One team. So... He competed regularly in the Japanese Touring Car Championship. He was very big with touring and, and uh, Formula 3000 and all that, but uh, won the Japanese Formula 3 Championship in 1990, failed to qualify for two F1 Grands Prix with Coloni in 91. So that was back when they had, he failed to pre-qualify for those. Raced in Mini Lights in the mid-90s, 
briefly with Walker Racing in 99, as we mentioned. Here it is, 1997, he tested a Formula One prototype, the F-105 for Dome F-1 at Suzuka and other Japanese tracks. But Dome F-1 never entered a Formula One Grand Prix. You can actually look at this Dome F-105 on Wikipedia, complete with the uh, drop-down front wing where it was attached and then the wing was underneath. Looks ahead of its time, to be honest. Yeah, it absolutely does. Had Goodyear tires, but never did compete in a Formula One race. Not related to fellow racer Shegiaki Hattori, which... I wondered that as well. Yeah, not related to him, but uh, did a successful career and did a lot of Super GT as well in the the early to mid-2000s. Now a racing journalist in Japan, out of Japan, uh, still active. Um, but did that one season in cart 1999, eight races with Walker Racing, best finish, 14th of Laguna Seca. And that was a the year they did Chicago, and he did not do Chicago. So uh, did Detroit, Mid-Ohio, Vancouver, Laguna Seca, Houston, Surfers, and Fontana, in addition to Miami. All right. So that is our random split air driver of the week, Naoki Hattori. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. We'll be back next week with more IndyCar news, rumors, and it's finally race week as they get set for the Honda 200 at the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcast by Federated Media.